Today we are talking to Andy Budd, the founder of ClearLeft, and we discuss bridging the gap between designers and technologists, the rise of design ops and its comparison to DevOps, and how great design can take your product to the next level. All of this right here, right now on the Modern CTO Podcast. Here we go. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. <laughs> so I want I want to hear I'm like I'm real excited right because you're I've I've read your book wow a long time ago mm-hmm. a while ago so I mean that was one of the original CSS books that I ever came across uh, it was yeah yeah so when we were looking up for guests I told Jenny I was like hey Jenny find people who are awesome and let me see a list of them and I saw CSS mastery and I was like that guy mm-hmm. I want that guy. Because, you know, we both, I have a coding background. I've been writing code for 17 years, so I'm loving it. Excellent. Well, I'm glad to be on. So what's going on? What are you real excited about right now? What's going on in your life? So, uh, I mean, you know, I've been running an agency for the last 13 years called Clear Left, which takes up a, a, a ton of my time. We do a whole bunch of awesome things. I mean, obviously, we kind of service clients and we're working on, you know, projects for people like Virgin Holidays and Virgin Atlantic and British Gas and BBC and Open University and sort of various cool names and kind of companies in the UK. We've also done bits and pieces with people like Spotify over the last year and what have you. So that's really good fun. Um, I also have a weird habit of um, starting conferences. So we've got a bunch of conferences we organise. Um, we've got a new, co- uh, well, we've got our, our conference that we've been running for 10 years called UX London. That's coming up in a couple of months' time. Um, we've also got a new conference, which is only about three years old now, called Leading Design, which is coming up in October. So I guess at the moment, I'm partly excited to be attending our conference in a few months' time in London, but also I've started to think about kind of who I might have for speakers at, at Leading Design. Um, and as the name suggests, Leading Design is all a conference around design leadership. So there are conferences for, um, you know, CTOs and 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 heads of development um uh, somebody i know called mary williams runs a very excellent conference called uh, the lead dev and a lot of that is around how technology is professionalized over the last 10 years and i think you know design is now starting to catch up i don't think we're quite as advanced in terms of the operationalizing of design but we're getting there and so a lot of my friends that used to be designers are now leading small teams or leading big teams or maybe head of design or VP of design. And in some cases, you know, uh, chief design officer or maybe even CEO. And so I'm really excited about how my agency and also myself um, as an individual can help promote the professionalization of the design community. So I guess those are a couple of really kind of big sort of themes and things that are kind of occupying my time at the moment. At what point were you sitting around like out of tea thinking, you know what, I need, I need a conference? Well, I mean, like I say, I've got a bit of a habit here. So um, the f- so I went to South by Southwest um, first time in 2005. And it was such a transformatory moment for me. Like, all of these people that I'd been following online, this was before Twitter, obviously, but all the people who I've been following online on blogs, suddenly I met in person, had a great experience, got to share war stories, got to talk about the kind of the latest kind of trends and techniques that are happening in the industry. 
And I came back to the UK 2005 and thought, I want to go to another conference. Where are the conferences in the UK? And it turned out there were none. There literally were no web design conferences in the UK. So I thought I should start one. And, you know, kind of like, I guess it's kind of like throwing a party. You want to throw a party partly because you want to invite people around, but also you want to be able to, you know, play your own music and, and invite the people that you want to hang out with. And so I ran a conference in 2005 called Deconstruct. Turned out to be the first design conference in the UK. And that got popular. And we ran that for 10 years from 2005 to 2015. And really good fun and met loads of really good good friends doing it. And then I guess in 2009, we started UX London. And that's run for 10 years now. I run Leading Design. And we run a bunch of other things. Like um, we run a conference on typography called Ampersand because we're kind of type nerds at Clear Left. Um, We're really interested in design languages. So we ran a... Uh, a conference called um, uh, Patterns down in Brighton, all about design languages. And I guess it's weird, like, as you mentioned, like, I started out as a developer. Um, actually, ages ago, I started out for my sins being a Flash developer, building Flash games. And, and Oh, no. I know, it's terrible. We've all got these kind of dark horses. <laughs> I've been there. <laughs> um, uh, very quickly, I learned the, the lesson of my ways, and I saw that Flash was was had a limited lifespan, and that's when I got into web standards, again, sort of early 2000s. I wrote my book, CSS Mastery, as you mentioned, in kind of 2004, 2005. And again, like weirdly, like when I published CSS Mastery, it was the third CSS book that I was aware of out there. And at the time, I was like, there's already two books. Who needs a third? So I really considered not publishing it because I thought the world didn't need three CSS books. Now, obviously, there are probably <laughs> 300 or maybe even 3,000. So I'm glad I didn't listen to my inner critic and, and um, went ahead and published the book. The book's now in its third edition, and I, I've got no idea how many it sold. It sold at least 250,000 copies. Um, when the book first came out in 2005, it was outselling Harry Potter. Can you believe it? I mean, only for about a week. Yes. But it, it kind of it kind <laughs> of did. And so that was really good fun. Um, and so, yeah, I guess... The whole, all of my career has basically been focused around trying to help people, whether it's companies, whether it's individual developers, whether it's teams, to make the most of digital technology. Whether that's, you know, by learning to code and learning CSS, whether it's by, you know, uh, learning how to do UX better, because my company clearly was one of the first UX agencies in the UK, or whether it's to kind of, you know, professionalize design through, you know, design leadership. Everything I've done is basically been trying to increase the impact design can have on the world. Because I really believe that design has the power to transform. It has the power to make people's lives better, to take frustration away. And so I guess that's really, you know, what I've been doing. Well, it feels good. Yeah, it does. It feels good. Like good design makes you feel good inside. Absolutely. And not, not only that, but it kind of, yeah, like I say, people people are really often really frustrated by technology. I'm sure we've all been in that situation where we've been trying to do something quickly. We've been rushing for a train. We try and buy a ticket and we realize the we've bought the wrong ticket or we bought an overpriced ticket. You know, technology can make us feel stupid. And design has a big part of, to play in understanding the needs and frustrations of users and taking that pain away. And, and you know, technology shouldn't make us feel stupid. It should make us feel empowered. And, and design is part of that. I think I think the other challenge I find a lot of the time, though, is when people talk about technology, they're, they're often thinking about programming. They're often thinking about servers and backend tools and techniques. And that stuff is really important. But I think we are coming to a point where a lot of technology is increasingly becoming democratized. I think the rise of, of 
you know, libraries and tool sets and, and kind of sort of programming environments um, and cloud computing, et cetera, is meaning that actually what used to be a really strong competitive advantage, it used to be that if you had the best technology, you would win out, you know, your, your business would win out because it was, you know, it was a defensible position. But now you can copy someone's tech stack relatively cheaply, relatively quickly. And I think technology is becoming less and less of a differentiator. That's not so much the case when it comes to things like artificial intelligence, which is why I think your Facebooks and the Googles and the IBMs of the world are now starting to hire up all of the kind of computer scientists out there because there is still that that is an arena that's really tough to compete against. But just throwing up a website and building a simple uh, a simple app or a simple product, you know, there's very little that you can produce that your competitors can't basically copy in in a in a couple of weeks or a couple of months. And so I generally think that design right. is one of the few things that is difficult to copy. Well, it's 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 like an art though because you can you can feel the person behind it that made it. Um I guess so yeah i mean i i try and steer away from the kind of the the, the sort of the art metaphor because i think too much of design focuses on the first order design the kind of the look and feel the kind of graphic design area and i actually think great design is much more around higher order problem solving i mean this is ux in a nutshell ux isn't just focused on what something look like looks like but actually how it goes around solving the needs of the user and the needs of the business and i think doing design well is around meeting those often unexpressed needs in a way that users never would have realized and never would have been able to articulate and that is something that is quite difficult to, you know, you can't just like, you know, um, plug a bunch of, you know, tool sets together and, and suddenly get a get a, get a a great customer experience. So we all know that the, the brands that we love, the products that we buy, is not just because they've been brilliantly engineered, but the whole experience has been thought out and, and considered and crafted. And you see this a lot, you know, you see, you know, you you. You know, you see all of these kind of like Apple wannabes, you know, every laptop now tries to look a little bit like an Apple computer, but it just isn't. There's something lacking. Every, you know, every new entrance wants to be, you know, try and take what Nest has done with a thermostat and apply it to kind of other things, doorbells, smoke alarms, et cetera, et cetera. But again, they're kind of missing something that's kind of really, really difficult to copy, which is solving those problems. And it's not just a case of like copying features wholesale. It's about really understanding the kind of the users and, and the, um, the the unique situation they find themselves in. And so, like I say, I, I see design being an incredibly important part of most startups and tech companies' arsenal. And you see companies like Airbnb who are founded, like two of the main like, co-founders of Airbnb were designers. And their solution wasn't a technical solution. Their solution was, you know, there were, there were tons of couch surfing, you know, home rental type services out there previously. But they really thought about the problem in a different kind of more connected way and produced a solution that was delightful on so many levels and really kind of met the needs of the users, the homeowners, the travelers. And so, yeah, so I think I think design is increasingly important as technology becomes easier to copy. I think design becomes one of the few areas of competitive advantage that companies have got left. Yeah, I really like seeing them pop up because I was in the real estate space making technology and I love design, so I'm not a designer, but I can sure tell you what good design is and what bad design is, right? So mm. one of the big white spaces in the U.S. was all the 
rental sites that did this were horrible, unusable, and ugly. So like it can be mm-hmm. unusable as one thing and it can be ugly as another, right? So yeah. when they came out and I saw them, I said, oh, finally, because I, I've, I grew up in, in this space you know, writing code since right before, right when the internet was coming out, when it was still dial up and all the way through becoming a product maker, a maker of technology, and then watching the design happen. And so I was very excited over the course of this decade when I was like, oh man, this niche got a well-designed product. They have a great team. Mm -hmm. Yes, there's a great team over there finally in this space. When is the great team going to come out in that space, right? Because mm-hmm. these designing great products, I meant I meant art as like an art form, like something mm-hmm. that a skilled professional does. And so, so I consider it an art form, like a, a very highly sought after skill to be able to create a quality product. And mm-hmm. only because I put in the effort and energy to be creating products that were technically functional into products that w- made people's lives amazing. Right. So that transition of me learning that did not come easy. So I have a high regard for any team that puts that together. Mm. I mean, absolutely. And, and often what happens is in industries or in sectors where nobody is excelling in particular areas, you've got this kind of um, you've got a sort of a level playing field. As soon as somebody decides to invest in design, suddenly they, they, they put their head above the parapet. They say, we're going to do something differently. Then all of the customers start flocking to this service and then all the rest of the people in the, the industry have to then respond and say, okay, well, we're now going to up our game when it comes to design. But, you know, because someone like Airbnb had invested in from the start, you know, it might take 18 months, two years or longer for the rest of the companies to kind of follow. And that gives that gives Airbnb two, three years worth of fairly defensible time in which to kind of build their market. And so, you know, I think you're you're in a great position. And if you find industries that have yet to kind of really take customer experience seriously, and if you're one of the kind of, you know, second tier competitors, or if you're a new startup that just wants to invest in that sector, go in, go in hard, go in strong, really, really value design. And you will be able to kind of pull away so many of that sector's, you know, competitors for the clients. It's just... It's it's unbelievable. So yeah, I think I think there's there's real power there, um, and and it, it kind of completely makes sense. I mean, you know, when you're new to a sector, all you need to do is provide a capability. It doesn't matter if it's good. Doesn't ma- matter if it's fun to use or even if it's easy to use. You know, if you never have been able to kind of book a homestay online, and all of a sudden you can now book it, then people will go and use that tool irrespective of whether it's easy to use. But once everybody is offering that capability then people will will either go for the cheapest supplier or the supplier has the best stock or ideally the supplier that kind of meets a set of emotional needs. And with Airbnb, you know, they were run by designers. They targeted a bunch of digitally savvy people that cared about where they wanted to stay, that wanted to stay in beautiful surroundings. They invested in great photography, which is something that the real estate space did badly. And it was all wrapped in a kind of a aspirational design that made people think that they were going to go and stay in this beautiful you know, apartment in New York, they get a slice of, of what New York felt like. And it was, yeah, and it, and it felt, you know, it felt really good and aspirational. So yeah, you know, I, th- I think design has an ability to really transform a whole range of sectors, whether it's kind of B2C, B2B. But yeah, and I'm amazed how, how slow a lot of a lot of companies are on the uptake. Well, it's like the startup advice that people always give, you know, I'm, I'm starting to say, hey, find a 
everyone was so focused on find a great technology maker. I'm also saying find a great designer because the amount of design you need. I mean, if you have a co-founder that's a fantastic designer, then they're going. That's going to bleed into other parts of their business as well. Their ability to design things beautifully doesn't necessarily always stop at graphics, right? Oh God, no. I mean, I think a lot of the biggest challenges and the earliest challenges that the um, startups face have a big design component. Not necessarily what the interface looks like, but what are the kind of the needs we're trying to meet? What what are the kind of strategies that we're going to adopt to kind of meet those needs? You know, they're you know they're all using design thinking. The output might not be an interface. It might be a different business model or a different approach to to solving the client's needs. But they're fundamentally design problems at the end of the day. They're they're often not technical problems. I think one of the challenges is you can't really start a a startup, a, a digital, like a tech startup, with a designer but no technologist. You can start with a technologist but no designer. You know, they'll build the thing. It might not be great to use, but the thing will exist. Like I say, the challenge is... 10 years ago, you could do that. 10 years ago, you could just build a thing that had never existed before and people didn't care what it looked like. Now, we spent the last eight years or or however long it is living with really, really high quality apps, really, really high quality products. And so the expectations are significantly higher now. So I think gone are the days where you you can just be a, a business major and a technology person. I think that founding team has to involve a designer. Now, it might be, that you bring in an external designer for the first 18 months to solve the really big problems. And then once you solve the big problems, the delivery is mostly stylistic. And so I think this is one of the challenges. I think a lot of tech companies hire the cheapest designer they can at the start with the idea that once they've got a bunch of funding in six months time or a year's time, they hire a better designer. And actually design doesn't really work that way. In any, If anything, you want to hire the best designer you can afford at the start. And then maybe 18 months in, you know, hire more junior designers to kind of do the delivery and, and, and do the maintenance of that system that you've created. So, yes, yeah, so the best way around to doing that is just ha- have a founder on, on your team that's a designer. Yeah, the same thing is true with code, right? A lot of people want to develop mm-hmm. a prototype so they get a bunch of the cheapest developers they can get to build something and they don't get a great person from the beginning and then they essentially have to start over. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, you know, tech technical debt is a huge problem and design debt is is a real thing as well you know so many of the of the well-known products that we we know today have been rebuilt and rebuilt two three four times from the ground up because so much so many hypotheses so many bad coding decisions were made at the start often necessarily because there's no point optimizing for a billion users when you don't have 10 users you know so some of this is necessary but i think while it's easier to kind of refactor your your code base it is a lot harder i think to refactor your design and so yeah you know particularly in in an aggressive sort of marketplace so yeah hire the best designers you can and, and and i think that will set you off in the right you know the right course so there there's some advice that I'd agree with, right? To give to the CTOs or the people doing startups, hire the best designers you can at the beginning. Yeah, absolutely. So have any of your conferences made their way to the United States? Um, Most of our conferences have been in the UK. 
Um, we did run an edition of Ampersand, which is our typography conference in New York. And we might consider running some of our other events in the US as well. But I mean, I think the US market is really well served with amazing events anyway. You know, there's a, there's a ton of events that our friends at Adaptive Path do around design and design leadership in, in, in sort of San Francisco. You know, I, I regularly speak at their events, also Adaptive Path, sorry, I'm, I'm Happy Cog, with a, an event apart, do some really, really great events for designers. So I, you know, if if we felt that there was a unique angle or a, a unique thing that we could bring from the UK to the US, I don't think we would hesitate to do it. But I think um, just bringing it over for the sake of bringing it over, I don't think is um, makes sense. So um, who knows what the future will bring? But at the moment, we don't have any plans of, of running US events. Right, because you want the necessity, right? Yeah, and also, you know, like we, you know, we we know our local market, and we're serving our local market really well. Um, and I think it would be slightly hubristic to kind of come over to to the US and and try and lecture you on how to do things and and try and kind of make a big big splash there. So I think we're no, we love you. I want you to come over here. I want to hang out, man. Okay, well, well, okay. <laughs> I see, I see your brand. I see what you've done. You're able to create these conferences. I go to conferences. I want an Andy Bug conference, man. Don't deprive me of that. Okay, well, you, you <laughs> might you might very well be able to convince me to come over. So um, I will I will have a think about that seriously. And yeah, maybe maybe next year we'll come over and we we'll do a thing together. Yeah, nothing's better than like guest appearances, right? Mm. Like everybody loves a guest appearance. <laughs> so and everybody well, knows think- your book too. Oh, well, look, I, I mean, I do come over and speak quite a lot. So if you or any of your listeners want me to come and uh, and speak at their event, I mean, I've just come back from a conference in Tokyo a couple of weeks before. I was in a conference in New Zealand. I was speaking at Adaptive Path UX week at like end of last year. I'm coming over to Chicago fairly soon. So I kind of get around. So, you know, there, there might be some oh, opportunities yeah. to speak. I think one of the things that I'm really interested in with this conference, so with, with this podcast is obviously – a lot of the people that I communicate with are other designers or the heads of marketing or heads of digital. And I think what we need to do is try and break down the silos between design and technology. Because at the end of the day, I think the best designers and the best technologists are all, technologists are all pulling for the same thing. So I would like to see more CTOs and, and, and technology leads speaking at design conferences. And I would love to see more designers speaking at technology conferences because I think there's so much we can learn from each other. I'm a big fan of cross-functional pairing. You know, I like nothing more than putting designers and putting technologists together on a problem and, and watching them kind of come at it from, from different perspectives. And I think our industry is getting a little bit too kind of siloed at the moment. So, you know, if any of your, if any of your kind of... Um, technology listeners want a really really passionate kind of design speaker at their event you know drop me a line yeah well that's why we're that's literally why i'm having you on the podcast so <laughs> i've in my experience diversity creates creativity and diversity of experience creates all sorts of new positives so i was i started in the real estate space making real estate products for you know a decade and then through that investors i met and, and products i knew i got into the financial space and I walked into the financial space and I'm like, oh man, everything's the same. It's just a different space. All the same issues, over, but there was a bunch of new stuff that I could see with new perspective. So I could solve problems that I would see based on my experience in real estate, even though they were different spaces. So then I took it even farther and started talking to different programmers of different languages, right? Because I was really into writing code at the time. 
And as I started entering in these different areas of these deep wells of knowledge, you know, I just got so much benefit by talking to these other individuals. So of course, when we're doing the podcast, we're talking to lots of CTOs. And I thought, what we got to do is we got to bring in some amazing people at design and marketing, branding, things like that, so that the CTOs can hear how they speak, hear the words that they say, kind of, you know, pick up on being around them. And mm-hmm. that will bring benefit. And, and one of the things, so for instance, I think, I think there's a lot that design can learn from, from technologists. And I think there's a lot of design, a lot of design leaders can learn from CTOs because I think in most organizations, technology has been a core function much longer than design has you know you typically find that in most organizations if you have a very design forward company they might have one designer for every four developers if you have a very old-fashioned technology forward company it might be one designer for every 10 developers and so because of that development has grown quickly the the development leaders the the ctos and, and heads of technology have got very, very good at managing teams, motivating teams, looking after their staff. And weirdly, only in the last two or three years, design has been been catching up. So I think there's a lot we can learn from CTOs um, about how you work with the rest of the business, how you 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 look after your teams, how you make impact, and how you kind of drive your um, your particular discipline forwards. So so I think there's a lot that we can learn. At the same time. I think there's a lot that technologists can can sort of benefit from design. I mean, I think one of the biggest talking points, interestingly, at the moment in the design space is the idea of design ops. And I don't know if design ops is something that is is on your radar at the moment, but but as you can it imagine, is now. yeah, exactly. So you know, ten years ago, DevOps was was really big. Like, how can we as technologists find operationalize development? How can we scale it? How can we make it more efficient? How can we make sure that the tools and technologies are in place that we can deploy really quickly? And also, how can we make sure that the management skills are in place that we can hire, recruit, and and you know, deliver work of a better quality faster. As I've seen a lot of my friends grow their design teams from five people to 20 people to 50 people to 200 people, we're now hitting the same challenges that development hit, you know, 10 years ago. And so we've started using some of the language and some of the techniques of, of, of development and started applying it to design. So literally only in the last 18 months, this kind of new field of, of design ops has emerged. It's not a direct one-to-one correlation with DevOps, but I think by using the language of design ops, when you talk to senior executives and you say, okay, well, design ops is a little bit like DevOps, then they kind of get where you're coming from. But ultimately, you see a lot of companies like Airbnb, actually, they were one of the first people to kind of really champion DevOps. I think they were one of the first companies to actually have a DevOps team, sorry, a design ops team. And what they've been doing is like figuring out how can we, now we're operating design at scale, how can we get this design into the hands of our users as quickly as possible? And so they'll be creating design systems and design languages. They'll be creating technological bridges between, say, Sketch and their, their code repo, so that when you do something in a, in a design sort of you know um, UI kind of environment, Rather than just then saving the file and having to put it somewhere, it automatically gets submitted into your into your repo and maybe even kind of goes live. Um, so lots of kind of tooling around how we can get the design assets to deployment faster. Also, a lot of uh, a lot of design ops is focused around how can we 
operate more efficiently at scale? How can we put teams together? How can they work efficiently? How can they? How can we hire the right people? How can we get them working cross-disciplinary, cross-team? And so, yeah, we're slowly getting to a point where we're operationalizing design. And so I think there's a lot of things that design teams can do in concert with developers in order to get their work to the user faster. And I think that's fascinating. And so over the last 18 months, I've seen designers and developers talking more and more around the same languages and around the same challenges than I ever have done in, in the past 10 of our career, which I think is a wonderful, a wonderful space. Yeah, I mean, look, you can leverage it for creativity. Ask yourself strange questions like what's the Docker equivalent in design ops? <laughs> like mm. what would sit there in that place on this, you know, supersymmetry concept, right? Like where where would that be? There's there's your talk. There's an <laughs> if, if it comes out good. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. I mean, and again, yeah, you, you, th- there are so many different tools and different processes that developers have come up with and implemented to solve some of these problems. And so, yeah, we are thinking about what are the what are the design equivalents. I mean, at the moment. I think a lot of it is focusing around design languages and how we can kind of create sort of, you know, modular kind of almost object oriented design languages whereby we're not just kind of designing things in, in, you know, I mean, I think React is a, is a great example of kind of these encapsulated kind of UI elements that you can kind of, you can design in, in sketch and then immediately updates your, your, your React component library and then immediately flows into the, the live site without you having to go through 15 different steps. And so, yeah, there's all these interesting tooling things that we're kind of like throwing together to kind of make the make the process more efficient. And and yeah, there's, you know, we're, we're really in the early days here. So there's a ton that we can learn from 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 DevOps and, uh, and development teams. But yeah, it's. Yeah, I mean, uh, there are there are a range of tools that people like, you know, the Airbnb team have created that will allow you to kind of, um, you know, bridge some of those some of those gaps. So that's amazing. Yeah, that's where the future really, is, though. Really interesting. Oh, totally, totally. We we shouldn't be kind of like handing files to somebody else down a chain that then has to unpick it and pick it back together again and and and, and sort of put it in some different system and translate it. We should have a tool set where the designer can make changes in Sketch ideally, and just by the act of pressing save, it flows through the process. I don't think we're there yet, but we're getting very very close. Envision of working on projects like this, I'm sure Adobe are. Like I say, I, I I know that a bunch of people at Airbnb have released a whole range of different interesting open source libraries and tools that kind of you know that, that bridge that gap. Um, at Clearleaf, we work on a little project called Fractal, which is a tool for maintaining kind of code libraries so that everybody in the team can kind of go to this single source of truth and grab all of the documentation and all of the the code snippets and widgets, et cetera, to use in their tools so they're not having to kind of reinvent the wheel. Because ultimately, this is what we saw, you know, if you're just a design team of one or two, you know, it doesn't matter if, you know, whatever systems you use. But if you work in a company that's got 250 designers, which many of my friends you know, work in, then suddenly you get, you, you start seeing this drift in, in, in both design and code. You know, you end up with 50 different button styles and 20 different form styles. And every time a developer or designer wants to do something, it's much easier to do it from you rather than trying to hunt down where the the appropriate thing is. 
And so bringing all of this information together into like a single source of truth that any designer or any developer can pull from is really important. It saves a ton of time. It saves a ton of money. And also it saves a ton of, of consistency. You know, if you're a brand, you just want to have one button style, one style for headlines, one style for, you know, all of your components. And I think, you know, design systems and, and, and tool sets like React and Sketch all working together in harmony is, is is the way forward. But it's still very early days yet, and there isn't a, a perfect solution. But, but, you know, these are all things that, that we're working on in different levels. Oh, I'm so excited to watch this play out. This is like the quality products entering new industries all over again. It's watching design emerge and deal with the same problems that scaling development had. Yeah, no, exactly, exactly. I'm loving it. Oh, thank you for all your advice and input, man. You're... Ugh. Uh, we're going to be out in London uh, later this year. Are you are you around in London area? Or? Um, I mean, I so I'm based in Brighton, which is an hour south yeah. of London. Um, Brighton is a beautiful little city by the sea. It's where Londoners go at the weekend to relax and chill out. So I guess it would be the New York equivalent to the Hamptons, maybe. Or yeah. I don't know what the Bay Area equivalent would be. I guess it would be kind of... Um, bodega bay or i don't know but probably bigger but um but yeah it's a that's cool where city. I, I live in the uh number one beach in the world that town it's a small town it's a small <laughs> town it's an hour south of tampa florida okay. and and yeah so i live in that sort i live you know 20 minutes from the craziness that's at mm-hmm. the beach so i live outside of it like a nice relaxed area but if you want the the beach you just drive 20 minutes in and you're there Sounds amazing. Well, sadly, our beach is all stones and pebbles. It's not a beautiful sand beach, but it's a really cool city. It's got a big creative industry. A lot of people that kind of, you know, working big companies in London will live in Brighton because it's a it's a beautiful, relaxed lifestyle. But I'm up in London at least once a week. Um, so, yeah, when you pass through London, give me a shout. We'll go out. We'll, we'll, we'll grab some cool food. We get, you know, I'll show you some great coffee places and some great places to get cocktails and beers. And, and yeah, it'd be, it'd be lovely to yes. chat. Is, isn't Brighton where Ed Sheeran's from? I Musician. don't think so. I don't. I don't well, know. I hear, I hear him bring it up in his songs a lot. Really? I'm a fan. Like I listen to his. I listen to his music because I play guitar. Okay. I'm a musician too. So just as like for fun, and he talks about Brighton in a couple of his songs. I mean, Brighton is a lovely place, and it's got a, it's got a lot of kind of cultural heritage. There's a really good music scene down here. Um, loads of good bands have sort of come from from Brighton you know from back from the 70s in the mod scene through to kind of like fat boy slim is a is a local resident dj and often there'll be big parties on the really? beach he runs uh nick cave lives down in brighton so it wouldn't surprise me if ed sheeran if at least if he's not from brighton has kind of spent some time here he he strikes me as someone that might come from bristol rather than brighton i don't know but i've got no idea i've got no idea where he where he's from but there's a there's a ton of really cool bands down in brighton a really lively music scene down here so yeah if we can get you down to brighton that'd be awesome yeah and do you know when you're going to be in chicago um do you know what i should know that let me just pull up my uh my calendar and i will be able to tell you um <laughs> 6th of august 6th of august all right very very cool um so yeah i'm speaking at a conference called prototypes process and play so it kind of is a kind of like on the edge of um kind of design ops and, uh, and and yeah, kind of how design and technology are working together. So that conference is on the 9th and the 10th of uh, August, and I'm going to head over to Chicago on the 6th. And you know what? I've never been to Chicago before. I've been all over North oh, America. Yeah? You know, I've been to a, a ton of like obscure towns. I've never been to Chicago. So I'm so excited. 
You should be, man. Every, it's always great. Do you have, you've got some local connections there, right? That are going to show you around? Oh, yeah, totally. So um, one of my friends is organizing the conference is kind of like local, local Chicago person. You know, I've been to New York a ton of times and everyone says to me that Chicago is like a cool, you know, kind of slightly more laid back version of, of kind of New York. So I'm sure that's probably doing it a disservice. But, you know, I've t- been told there's great architecture, great bars, really good food culture. Um, so yeah, I, I can't believe it's taken me this long to get there, but I'm really, really excited to to come to Chicago. But yeah, you know, I I, I love I love spending time in the states. I'm always I, I find myself speaking there three or four times a year, at various various places. It's been a long time since I've been down in uh, Florida. I tend to end up speaking in New York or Austin or or kind of over on the sort of the West Coast. But um, but yeah, you know, it should be fun. Yeah, well, I'm gonna put, I put it on my calendar that you're gonna be August uh, at that conference because you know we travel a lot with the team and we attend a lot mm. of different conferences. So I always look, I always track everybody I like. You know, <laughs> I talk to that I'm like, oh, you're real cool. I, I track them on my calendar that way. Whenever the opportunity comes up for us to cross, like done. That'd be awesome, man. Yeah, let's let's try and overlap and kind of hang out in Chicago. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time, man. And then if people want to find out more about you, how would they do that? Okay, I, I have a I have a, a very underloved website, andybud.com. It's my blog. It's been going for like 15 years. It hasn't been redesigned for about 10 of those. So, you know, I don't necessarily always do what I um what I say other people should do. Um but yeah, I occasionally post there or I post on Medium. The best way to kind of follow me is on Twitter. I'm a very prolific sort of Twitterer. Yeah, so I'm just Andy Bud on Twitter. Or my agency is clearleft.com or, you know, UX London or leading design conference would be the, uh, the conferences I, um, I run. So yeah, there's a, there's a whole sort of way of reaching out. Um, so yeah, there you go. Wherever great designers conjugate, like Andy will be there. <laughs> that, that is very true. I, I try my best. I get around a lot. So um, yeah. Thank you so much for listening to the Modern CTO Podcast. Share this. Get the word out. Thank you guys so much. I couldn't do it without you. I appreciate it. You guys are the absolute best.